As I was working on, on, this, on the message for today, I was reminded of the very first Bible study I ever did. Now, uh, some of you think, oh, big deal. Um, remember, I, didn't, I did not grow up in a, I, I did not grow up as a Christian, you know, as uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a religious, well, I don't even know if I'd call it a religious home. I grew up with a religion, let's put it that way. Um, you know, that, that's what it was. It was 44 years ago when I did this first Bible study because I'm older than you think. Well, at least I hope I am. I, I hope you think I'm not that old. Uh, you know, but like I said, I had a religion, but I didn't have a relationship with God. There's a difference. There's a huge difference between a religion and a relationship. I had a religion in the fact that, you know, I did these religious things. I would practice, you know, religious things. I'd go to church. I, I, you know, I, I went to church. I went to catechism classes. I, you know, I, and I did some of these religious things. I had a religion, but I didn't have a relationship with, with Christ. I didn't know what, I, I, I understood some of the things, you know, about it. And that was really what drew my mind back to this. Um, because the, the, the Bible study was, who is Jesus? That's what this first Bible study I did was, who is Jesus? And I thought, you know, this is pretty basic, folks. I mean, doesn't the whole world know who Jesus is? Well, you know, I, I, I can remember when people ask me, you know, if you're a Christian, well, yeah, what do you think, I'm a heathen? Of course I'm a Christian. As I'm not a heathen. See, I went to church. I had this religion, but I didn't have a relationship. And there's a huge difference there. You know, I thought I knew who Jesus was. So I found the Bible study pretty easy because I approached it with my mind already made up about who Jesus was. I would have agreed with you that he was God. I would have agreed with you that he died on the cross for our sins. General statement here, you see. General big broad brush statement he died on the cross for our sins. Of course, he died for everybody's sins. You see, I mean, that's what I—that's what I would have—that's how I would have approached this. So my mind was already made up about who Jesus was. I didn't really feel like I had to pay too much attention to this Bible study uh, because I, I already knew who he was. At least I thought I did. You know, I thought I knew who he was. Now I don't know that I really, really learned anything that first Bible study. Well, here's why: because I approached it with that thought that I already knew who he was. And because that was my thought, I didn't have to pay attention. So what I did is I overlooked the obvious. You know, I, I, I felt I, I knew the answers, you know, and I knew the answers to their questions, you know, so I, I just overlooked the obvious about what difference that makes, really, or who I really believed that he was. Now, this is also the opinion of some people who Jesus engages in the passage that we're going to look at today. They have that same opinion. He engages a group of people who thought they knew Jesus. They thought they knew him. They thought they knew who he was. Their minds were already made up, so they actually dismissed him. Their minds were made up, so they overlooked the obvious the same way I did. Let's pray, and we're going to turn to our passage. Father, thank you for what a gracious God you are. You put up with us when we overlook stuff that's particularly obvious. Uh, you put up with us when, they, when we do dumb things uh, and when we do sinful things. You don't strike us dead that moment. I am so grateful. I am so grateful that you are a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of patience. 
So teach us now from your word that we might grasp a hold a little bit more of who you are. Now, some of us are going to approach this thinking that we already understand this, Father. Don't let us close our minds to you. Don't let us close our minds to your word that we might always be open to you and your spirit teaching us and ministering us, correcting us where need be, encouraging us where need be, and, and Father, um, helping us to understand what it means to follow you and to live for you and to live with you. So guide our thoughts, our time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, so if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 6, page 924 in the Pew Bible. And again, I'll be reading from what the Pew Bible version is, Holman Christian Standard. Uh, if you get confused another by reading something different, looking at something different than what I'm reading, you might want to use the Pew Bible. Uh, we're continuing to look at how Jesus engaged people and what he taught his disciples about engaging people. That's really the thrust of our message here, of what we're looking at. Now, when we're talking about being able to engage people, just keep in mind, I am not trying to improve your social skills. That's not, some of us could use it, but that's not the goal here. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you see the importance, you know, and, and also the opportunities that come before us uh, for engaging people and helping them come closer to Jesus. That's what I hope comes as a result of this, that we can help people come closer to Jesus. Remember, you know, we may not be the ones, we may not be the ones who give the, the well, here's Christian lingo for you. We may not be the ones who give the invitation you know that they respond to we may not be the ones who say hey you have a relationship with christ we may say that but they may not respond they may not even understand what we're talking about at that point so i'm not talking about that what i'm talking about is moving them closer to jesus that's that's the whole thing last week we learned that if we're going to better engage people in order to better engage people that we need to change the way we hear that's what we looked at last week we know we need to change the way we hear god's word first of all it is to affect our living it's not just to give us more knowledge it's not just to pile more stuff in it's necessary so we can carry more stuff around in our pockets you know and not so that we can underline our bible it's so that we can in 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 begin to live more that it affects our life that it affects our living that it draws us in you know not simply you know for more stuff it's for action on our part so we need to change the way we hear god's word and we also need to change the way we hear those around us because sometimes what we're doing is we're we're not we're we're, we're not speaking to the questions they're asking what we're doing is we're speaking to the questions we wanted them to ask us but they didn't. And so they're asking one question. We're, we're not even in the same ballpark as them. We need to change the way that we hear people as well. You know, we need to be careful that we, we, we need to, we need to carefully listen to God for how we live. And we need to carefully listen to others so that we can help them connect with God. We can help them connect God to their living. We can bring light into that darkness. We can help bring clarity into the fog of living sometimes. That was last week from Mark chapter four. You know, Jesus engaged the crowd there. He taught from a boat. He explains some of the parables to his disciples. Today we're in Mark chapter 6. Jesus engages some folks in his hometown. But he also is continuing to work with his disciples. So we're going to see here again how Jesus engages people and also how he teaches his disciples to engage people. So here we are. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Follow along. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in his synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? 
Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now he was going around the villages in a circuit teaching. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over all unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals but not put on an extra shirt. Uh, Then he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you and the people refuse to listen to you, then when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Uh, So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil and healing them. Down later, I think it's around verse 35 or somewhere about that. There's a verse or two that talks about when they came back and they were pretty pumped. Uh, That's a a loose translation. They were pretty pumped about, you know, uh, their, their time doing this stuff. So what we have here is Jesus returning to the town he grew up in. You know, to the people he saw him, you know, who saw him daily uh, in daily life before he stepped into public ministry. It was interesting because I actually heard Joan and Josh share before at Avalon, the church she grew up in, you know, and, and they were there and they were they were sharing. And I found it very interesting, you know, uh, to do that. But here Jesus is returning to that place he grew up in that place where people saw him, you know, before he stepped forward into public ministry. And here these folks thought they knew Jesus and they thought they knew all about him. You know, that that was their approach. Well, we know this guy, you know, we know this guy. He lived, you know, these 30 years among us here. Now, it seems that most of them knew about Jesus, but only very few came into a relationship with Jesus. Just as I knew about Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with him. You see, now they wouldn't have called knowing Jesus at that, knowing about him at that point. They wouldn't have referred to that as religious, you know, but uh, that's kind of how it works out, worked out for me. Now we're specifically told here that Jesus' disciples were with him on this trip. Uh, you know, they had seen the reception that Jesus received in other places. Other places, people were pretty excited. Hey, here's that preacher dude, you know, and so we need to go hear him. And he'd be mobbed. There would be people all over the place. They, you remember when they tried to bring the paralytic in and they couldn't get near the place. They said they couldn't even get him in the door. Why? Because so many people were there and wanted to see him and they had to go in through the roof. And you know, so th- that's, this is what they're used to. They're used to these big crowds and these huge crowds, you know, and he's, he's mobbed by them. And, and frankly, it, it even wore them out sometimes. I mean, remember, you know, Jesus said, uh, we need to, it's going to be dinner time. We need to feed these people. And, and they said, send them out somewhere. Let's send them out somewhere to get food. And Jesus said, hey, you guys feed them. You know, you, you guys feed them. So they, you know, they get exhausted by some of this place stuff. Well, here they are in Nazareth, and they saw an entirely different response to Jesus. Really a kind of eerily subdued response, even, even somewhat antagonistic. It wasn't this huge, big welcome, you know, and we want to hear more that they were used to. Instead, it's, who does this dude think he is? kind of response. It's antagonistic. Now, the people noticed they didn't doubt that Jesus had wisdom and that he had miracles. You know, they readily admit to this. 
In fact, they're saying, where, does, where did this guy get this? Where did he get this wisdom? Where is it? You know, because they, they you know, admitted to these things there. What seemed to, what some of them seemed to have trouble grasping was that somebody so familiar to them could have all this power. This wasn't the Jesus they thought they knew. It wasn't the Jesus they thought they knew. And so they were having trouble with that. They were having a hard time. When I went through that first Bible study on, on who Jesus is, I had the same problem that I had with all of you Protestant people before, you know, before I became a Protestant person. Uh, you know, I had the same trouble. You, you, you people kept talking about, you know, that he's my Savior, meaning, you know, yours. And I'm thinking, what about the rest of us? Huh? I mean, what about the rest of us? His personal savior stuff, you think he changes for you? What about the rest of us? I mean, that was always my, my thinking. And you say, well, that's stupid. Well, yeah, we realize that now. But I didn't, you know, I didn't before that. I mean, you're talking about this personal relationship. And, I'm, and I was taking it as, well, you're leaving me out. You see, you're leaving me out. That's what I was hearing. And, and so here, you know, Jesus comes. It's a total, it's a, it's a total different picture, you know, for them. And these people are having a hard time adjusting to it. You know, many people... Many people have a hard time adjusting when something outside their current understanding comes along. We have a hard time adjusting to that. And as I was thinking about this, it's true for us today. It's still true for us today. The easiest illustration for me to give you is something in the area of technology. We recently got upgrades to a couple of different programs here at church. And, uh, you know, so there's an adjustment period. And at times, during that adjustment period, there is a longing for the program to work as they did before we got the upgrades. I just wanted to do it. You know, just, just, just let it do what I'm used to it doing. I have this checking account program at home, and you know, I enter this stuff. I keep my checkbook in there and all that. And every time I turned it on and asked me, you want an upgrade? I, I said yes once, and then it was back to the thing of, oh, my goodness what did they do you know and it, it, they just messed it all up you know they think they improved it they just messed it up and so now every time i turn it on it says you want an upgrade no <laughs> i click that no button bef- before it's even done forming the words you know don't don't give me this upgrade because i like this stuff the way it was yeah you know, and, and we're just used to doing it i remember getting my first smartphone um the uh, you know I, I had i had a flip phone it was great you know laugh at flip phones all you want to it was great wasn't it andy we missed those babies you, for one thing it's small and i don't have to have this huge thing in my pocket you know but anyway you know the, the, i was used to you know you, you want you want to be well press that button twice you know you want to say, press it three times that was great that was good all of a sudden give me the smartphone my my family gave it to me you know for i forget it was you know some holiday either you know uh, father's day or my birthday or a catch-up with technology day uh whatever it was that they gave it to me for you know i got so i got this smartphone and you've heard me say before a smartphone is only as smart as as the operator so my phone's my phone's just a a low-level phone it's not a smartphone but anyway um it was. So, it took some getting used to. I really like it now. <laughs> I do. I mean, I do email and all that stuff. I, but it just took some getting used to. You see, because we have a hard time adjusting when something outside of our current understanding comes along. Sometimes we just like things to be the way they used to be, the way we're used to them being. We even want people 
to be the way we're used to them being. Statistically, there's a high rate of divorce, a significantly higher rate of divorce among alcoholics who have, who have become non-alcoholics, who have given up alcohol. There, there's a high rate of, of divorce among those who have become sober and kicked alcohol because their spouses are used to them as drunks and they don't know how to deal with them as sober people. You see, we have a hard time, we have a hard time adjusting when things come outside of our current understanding. You know, and here, Jesus comes back to Nazareth. They had an understanding of who he was. And on the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue. That was an unusual part for them. You see Jesus, as you go through the Gospels, he's often in the synagogue ministry. That wasn't the unusual part for them here. Notice what they were astonished at was Jesus' teaching, that he had such wisdom with no formal training. You know, they watched him grow up. They knew he was trained as a carpenter, not as a teacher. This is not a put-down for Jesus. In fact, the word that, that uh, we have translated and, and put in carpenter there, it was, a, it, was a, it was a much broader thing than that. He wasn't just a carpenter. He was a craftsman, really. He, was, he, he could do anything. You know, that, that word indicates somebody who could do things from building a shelf all the way through building a house. You know, he was a craftsman and he knew. So we're not talking about they were downing him because he was a carp, just a carpenter. That isn't what they were doing. You know, they were saying, That's, we don't know this guy as this, as this teacher. We know him as, the, as this carpenter, as this craftsman. And they couldn't get past their preformed opinions and thoughts about Jesus. They were having a difficult time with that because they never got around to asking what all this about Jesus meant and what it meant for themselves. That's the question I missed at that first Bible study 44 years ago. I missed the connection of all what all of this meant for me. I was overlooking the obvious. When people were talking about that personal relationship with him, I was looking at you and saying, what, what about, you know, I was not getting the connection with me. We overlook the obvious sometimes. You know, it's a, this is, it's a common connection we have to help people make. We have to help them make that connection. What does the reality of Jesus mean for my life? We have to help them make that connection. You know, what does it mean for my life? It's easy to talk about Jesus as a person. It's even easy to talk about him as God. I was with them when they're talking about who is Jesus. I was with them when they're talking about him as God. I, that was... It was easy to talk about that. But then to make the connection of what it makes, what, what difference it makes for my life. You see, what happens then when you keep that separation there, it, he becomes a separate entity. You know, and, and people miss, overlook that connection then of what it means for their life and that he is God, that he is Savior, that he is Lord. And they miss that connection. We'll get into this in some sermons coming up, but sometimes, too, they make that connection but don't want to admit it because if he is God, then I do have to, then I do have somebody I have to answer to. You see? And we have to help them make that adjustment as well. 
we have to help them make un understand that it, it, it does make a difference who he is. Now, the people of Nazareth here, they're not seeking to know more about Jesus. They're only interested in dismissing him without learning anything more. They just want to dismiss him. They, want to, you know, they, they don't want to learn the answers to the questions they ask. They didn't make any connection between his miracles and that power coming from God. They weren't making that connection or at least weren't admitting to that connection. And so they, they went, they, it says here that the people were offended by Jesus. That's you know, offended by him. The word actually means to place a stumbling block in his way. To place that stumbling block in someone's way, to trip them up. The English word we get from, from the Greek word there is the, is the word scandalize. They were scandalized by Jesus. They were, they, were, they were messed up. Their opinion of Jesus was causing them to stumble and to fall short of realizing who he, who he really is. Because it didn't fit their opinions of him. And it didn't fit their opinion. We need to help people see who Jesus really is. Not who they think he is, but who he really is. We need to help them see that. We have a friend, uh, well, uh, Dennis Rowe, some of you know, he's a pastor in Dunphy. And uh, we do that combined services with him several times. Well, anyway, Dennis's daughter was at, was it Princeton? Uh, one of those fancy schools out east. And uh, she was uh, talking, she was talking to this, this uh, guy in a coffee shop about Jesus. And, you know, through their conversation and uh, this guy was he, was he raised Muslim, if I recall correctly. He was raised Muslim, and you know they're taught certain things about Jesus. Well, she is she is sharing with him and talking with him about Jesus. And this guy, this guy just in the coffee shop, just said, you know, as she's talking and explaining who Jesus is and showing him in the Bible and stuff. And he says to her, "You mean he's alive? You mean Jesus is alive?" You know, and he said, she said, all the eyes in the coffee shop turned and looked at them. The guy was shocked because that's not what he learned about Jesus. That is not, that was, that was all new, that was all new stuff to him. It was all new stuff to him. And this is what it is. We have to help people see who Jesus really is. Now, some people are going to be offended by that when they find out there, when they're going to be offended by the truth about Jesus. But here's the deal that we need to grasp a hold of, we need to make sure that the offense is not because of poor behavior on our part or because of some offense on our part. Our goal is not to put them down. We are to treat people with love and respect. God calls us to that. We treat people with love and respect, not with arrogance, not with condemnation, not with sarcasm. We're to treat them with love and respect. Now you'll notice in verse 4 here, Jesus mentions three areas, as it just popped out at me, three areas that can be pretty difficult for us to engage people in, you know, effectively about Jesus. The ones that seem to be, uh, you know, most resistant to our engaging them about, about Jesus are the ones that we think, you know, maybe should be most, re most receptive. You know, those who live alongside of us is one group, our, the neighbors, you know. 
Those who see how you talk to your spouse and your children, you know, those, the, the ones who see how you do or don't take care of your home and the stuff you have, uh, you know, the, 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 it's difficult, you know, for us to speak to those, you know, the neighbors, our hometown, uh, those who we're related to, another group. Well, because we're from the same stock, we're from the same gene pool. Isn't this, isn't this, isn't this the guy we knew growing up? You know, what, 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 you know, what makes you think, what makes you think you're better than us? A third group is those who live with you in your home because they see how you treat the cat. They see how you, they see how you treat the cat. You know, they see how easily you get angry. They see the inconsistencies of your at-home behavior and your in public behavior. These are tough people. You know, these are, can be tough people for us to reach effectively, to effectively engage them with the truth about Jesus because they've seen us at some of our not-so-fine moments. Now, what we need to understand is difficult doesn't mean impossible. Because they're difficult to reach doesn't mean that they're impossible to reach. Because they're difficult to reach doesn't mean that we keep quiet. It means that we understand it might be tough and it might be slow going. How many years did you say it takes, you know, that they, that they hang in there? And it, sometimes it's slow going. There's a very interesting phrase in verse, five, in verse 5. Verse 5, he says, So he was not able to do any miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, it's not that Jesus lacked the ability or the power to do any miracles. That's, that's not it at all. You know, it's not that these people didn't have enough faith. That's not the question at all. It's rather he knew their attitude and he didn't want to drive them away. Jesus is not in the business of driving people away. He wanted to draw people closer to himself. You know, and he also, he wasn't a sideshow. He wasn't just there to perform for people, you know, to amaze people. The miracles were to help people come to realize who he really is and not to attribute it to something else or someone else, to realize that he is God. And these people were close to the reality, that reality. But the phrase, here that really caught my attention is the last half of the verse he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them i was reading this and i was thinking through and i'm trying to i'm asking myself how did you know why did god have mark record this chapter in the order he did why is it that it's in the order we have it today I don't think it was by accident, uh, you know, and, and I told you before, you know, it's, I, I don't believe in coincidence, you know. Why did God have this that way? And I'm looking at this. Jesus comes to his hometown. Now notice again, he brings his disciples along. The response from the people is quite muted. It's not at all what he's used to. But gay, and, and Jesus engages these people, and most of them resist. See, before when he was engaging people, there was a response. And there was this great response, and it drew in more people, and you know, there's, a, there's this big response. Here he's engaging people, and most of them resisted. Only a few responded to him in a positive way. And it's right after this, then, that Mark tells us that Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs to engage people. And I'm thinking about this, and here's what stood out to me. If we're going to effectively engage people, we need to change how we view the crowd. We need to change how we view the crowd. They were used to seeing this crowd that was very responsive to Jesus. This was a whole different ballgame. This was a whole different crowd. 
If they were going to go out and engage people, they were going to have to change how they, how they viewed the crowd. Always remember, it's never about the crowd. It's always about the individual. It's not about the crowd. The crowd rejected Jesus. Most of the people here rejected Jesus. We're told, except for a few people. Except for a few people. Out of the whole town, out of that whole town where they had an experience with him, they knew of him, they knew him, and out of that whole town, we're told, only a few people came to know Jesus for who he really is. How many people does it take to make it worth your effort? How many people does it take to make it worth your... How many no thank yous are you willing to receive? How many I'm not interested? How many I have my religion? How many you're a jerk? Are you willing... To receive. If the majority of the people reject what you have to say, are you still willing to keep telling people about Jesus? We don't like rejection. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. So what happens if we begin to sense some rejection? What happens, you know, if we begin to, if people begin to tell us we're wrong, you know, then what we do is we keep quiet because we fear rejection. You know what you're saying by keeping quiet because you fear rejection? What you're saying is you hurt my feelings. So go to hell. Isn't that what you're saying? You hurt my feelings. You know, I don't think I can take this rejection. So you continue on your way to hell and I'll just keep quiet. I'll just keep quiet because you have hurt my feelings because you have rejected me. And so you just continue on your way to hell. Now, immediately here on the heels of this event in Nazareth, Mark tells us that Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs to engage the crowd. Right after this, he sent them out. They witnessed, you know, they witnessed Jesus get very subdued. They witnessed Jesus be rejected here in his own hometown. And now they were to go out and engage people as they went. He told them to make very little preparations for their journey, you know, and, and you know, as you look at that, you know, as, as, because as they traveled, what they were learning, they were learning to de- be dependent in a world that places a very high value on independence. You see, we want to be independent. We want to be able to care for ourselves. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to be able to have all the answers. We don't want to have to have people tell us what it is to do and what's right and what's wrong. We want to think that we know. And we want to think that we can do all of this on our own. They were going out and they would have to then engage people, you see. Because he was sending them out with very little preparations, told them not to bring all this stuff, and they were going to have to engage people in order to have what they needed to survive. They were going to have to engage people. And they were going to get rejected. Look at verse 11. 
If any place doesn't welcome you, people refuse to listen to you. He know, Jesus knows this is going to happen as they're traveling. And he tells them, you know, this is going to happen to you. Know that they will reject you. You know, just as they rejected Jesus. They, they won't care what you have to say. One of the things I pull out of verse 11, you know, he says, if any place doesn't welcome you and refuse to listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You know, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, keep arguing with them. One of the things I get here is don't waste time arguing. Don't waste time arguing with those who reject what you have to say. Because here's, here's the deal. What happens then is the goal becomes to win an argument. And that is not the goal. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to help them see Jesus. The goal is to help them move closer to Jesus. Help them to understand a little bit more of who Jesus really is. Now, did you notice the message that they were told to preach? Verse 12, it says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. There's a popular message. There's a, that, that's not a very popular message. Repent, you know, repent. Turn, you know, you, what you're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. You're going the wrong way. Repent. You know, that, that is not very popular. You know, the whole truth of a message about repentance is that people need to put God first. They're not putting God first. They need to put him first. You know, they need to turn from their own priorities. They need to make God in his way their priorities. Move them closer to that. Help them to see that. When we were finished with this first Bible study, you know, 44 years ago, and they finished this first Bible study on who is Jesus, uh, I know my sister was, my sister was a big instigator in me coming to this Bible study because she was a Christian, the first Christian in our family, and she wanted her little brother to come to know Christ as Savior. I'm the little brother. And she wanted him to know, wanted me to know Jesus as my own Savior. And the guy who was leading the Bible study, you know, Randy, Randy and Gene Bolton were leading this Bible study. And, you know, they wanted this guy to come and know Jesus. And so you know what happened at the end of this Bible study? I didn't make any commitment to Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. They didn't help me at all. And so you know what Randy did then? He kept teaching me the Bible. He kept teaching me the Bible. He kept teaching me what God has to say to me, what God has to say about Jesus. He kept teaching me. He didn't quit. He didn't walk away. There were things, you know, there were times Randy would have pulled out what little hair he had left, you know, uh, you know, and putting up with me and stuff. And he did, he just kept loving me and helped kept trying to move me closer to Jesus. Mark records here that the disciples were driving out demons and anointing people. Those things happen one person at a time. They happen one person at a time. It's never about the crowd. It's always about the individual. We engage people as individuals. A crowd of one. A crowd of one is a crowd of one enough for you to engage? Change the way we look at a crowd. 
Many might reject what you have to say. Many might, you know, might, might look at you and call you a fool, but there might also be one who will move closer to Jesus because you took the time to engage them with the truth about Jesus. Engage them. Engage them. Tell them about Jesus. Let's pray.